Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Isaiah's building up to this moment of saying, I've got good news. Here's the good news. It means you don't have to be afraid and go on to the highest peak that you can find and shout this out. What's the message? Behold your God. Out of all that God's people are waiting for, the announcement, the good news explosion is not about what they're waiting for. It is about who they are waiting for. just hate waiting. These days, lines seem out of control, and there seems to be a delay on everything. As Pastor Ricky teaches today, you'll learn how Isaiah is building up the good news of something great on its way. But there's a delay. What do you do in the in-between? Pastor Ricky reminds us that in the waiting, you can find joy in the meantime. There was an explosion of joy during the time of anticipation of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Isaiah chapter 40. As he begins his message, Christ was born for you, the waiting, the wolves, and the good shepherd. We're gonna be in the book of Isaiah today. So I wanna invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm gonna read just three verses, beginning in verse nine. This is God's word. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, I pray that you would speak to us in this season of waiting. Help us to point our longings to the right place as we gather in your name, amen. All right, I got three questions the text asks us. What are you waiting for? Now, Isaiah 40, I chose to teach again from this passage because between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40, there should be like a big blank page in your Bible because Isaiah 1 to 39 is is all uh, warnings and messages to God's people before they're taken into captivity into Babylon, before their homeland is burned down, before they're carried away and and live under the rule of kind of a, a dictator in another land. And then Isaiah 40 to 66 is written to people in exile and after exile. So there's a long wait, in a sense, between 39 and 40. And I want us to imagine just for a second what it would be like to live in that blank page. Imagine that you're an old man now reading this passage from Isaiah, hearing one of the teachers open the scroll and read from this passage. You're an old man who was taken into captivity as a young man. You remember 
vividly your city burning. You remember your family's home being looted by soldiers. You remember the long, endless walk of sorrow all the way to Babylon. You can no longer visit the temple as you grew up doing. That temple is destroyed. You aren't in God's promised land for his people. You're in another land and you're stuck waiting, wondering, will this ever change? That is the person that receives this good news in Isaiah 40. And I wonder if you can relate. What are you waiting for as we head to the end of this year? Are you waiting for a new year? You know, it's not a magical wand, right? It's not like January 1st, it's all, you know, like everything's gonna be back to normal and everyone's getting free tickets to Disney World. Like this is, you know, it's gonna be kind of the same in some ways. Sorry to break that to you. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a new year on the calendar? Are you waiting to fully be able to enjoy life? And talking to folks in my community group, there's all things that we all have things that like, oh, I just can't wait to do that again. For me, it's I can't wait to sit in a crowded theater and gasp at the next Marvel movie that's the same as the last 30 movies, but they put a new coat of paint on that thing and I'm clapping again, right? I, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to no longer be separated from friends and family in certain ways. Are you waiting for the uncertainty to be over? Are you waiting for the political strife to finally end? If we're in that place of waiting, I just wanna say that is exactly the place that this text is written to, to waiting people like us. And that's why it's surprising to find in that waiting an explosion of joy in verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. There's this buildup. Isaiah's building up to this moment of saying, I've got good news. Here's the good news. It means you don't have to be afraid and go on to the highest peak that you can find and shout this out. What's the message? Behold your God. Out of all that God's people are waiting for, the announcement, the good news explosion is not about what they're waiting for. It is about who they are waiting for. For. Isaiah announces that the thing they have been waiting for behind all of their other waiting is God himself. Look, as a, as a kid on Christmas Eve, we would always go to my mom's side of the family's house, to my nana and granddad's house. And I remember this one Christmas Eve that I got in trouble. And I got in trouble, uh, unsurprising, but I, I got in trouble because I was obsessed with guessing what my Christmas present under the tree was and was ignoring and being really unkind as a kid to my grandparents whose house we were at for Christmas Eve in the first place, right? I was all about what was right there, all the stuff, all the, the packaging and, and what was inside them and ignoring my grandparents. And you know what? As you age, you obviously get perspective. But this year in particular, I found a, a renewed perspective as I think back on that Christmas Eve because my Nana is still with us. She's my last surviving grandparent. She has a lot of health issues, a lot of risks. And I have prayed 
at different times this year, Lord, just give me another Christmas with my Nana. Right? Because in an instant, in a year like this, you begin to find it's not the stuff, it's the people, right? But, but on an infinite scale, it's not the, the what that we're waiting for. It is the who that we are waiting for. We are waiting for God himself. This is what our hearts have been waiting for since we entered this world. I want to commend to you a study this Advent season on the word waiting in the Bible. Now, for example, Psalm 25 says, none who wait for you, Lord, will be put to shame. For you, I wait. I wait for you, right? Out of the many things that we are waiting for, let's remember, church, we have to point our longings, point our waiting in the right place, and that place is God himself. But that brings the second question then, where is God then in our waiting? Where is he? If we've been waiting for him, where is he? The text answers the question, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord God comes. Now, the remarkable thing about this word to the people in Babylon, right, is that they believed, they felt like God had abandoned them. The temple was destroyed, the place of God's presence, and it was their sin, their evil as a nation that led them into judgment, into separation from God. God's people had had separated themselves from God, and so God, in response, separates them from their land, from him, in a sense. And of course, as always, once we're separated from God, our souls shrink, and we feel grief and sadness and all of that. But, but there are two things in this simple phrase that are glorious. The first one is the word, your. Behold, your God. That, that is a remarkable word in light of where God's people have been. They said, you're not our God anymore. We're gonna do our own thing. They bore the consequences. And yet the Lord comes to them again and he calls himself their God. They are still his people. They may be hundreds of miles from their land. They may be cut off from the presence of God in the temple, but he still calls himself their God. Not because they've kept up their end of the covenant, but because God has always kept his. In making them his people, he will not let them go. I remember once in our community group, one of the the girls in our community group were sharing that her dad had this ritual that when they'd, when they'd go to bed, he would, he would say, do you know I love you? And she would say, yes, dad, I know you love me. Am I ever gonna stop loving you? He would ask. And she would say, no, dad, you're never gonna stop loving me. And, then he, and he had taught her the answer to this next question, why will I never stop loving you? And her answer was, because you're my dad. And in that way, her dad is a great dad, tying his affection not to because I've been a good girl today or not because you have to, but because you're my dad, right? This is what the Lord is doing with his people. He calls them his people because he has made them his people and nothing will change that relationship to his people. He is still their God. And this is good news for us, guys, because I've got the sense, I think all of us see weaknesses in our own lives. You know, in my relationship with God, no unbelief, no anxiety, 
Just smooth sailing as it relates to my family. Yeah, I, I was patient every day, right? You know, I just embraced joyfully Skype education for my children at all moments. I never got frustrated at things I could not do. Just thank God for what I could do. And it was, it was great. It was a great year. No, I haven't heard anybody. If that's you, man, I would love to talk to you and get some tips for next year. Here's the good news. The Lord being your God is not dependent on you having a good year. The Lord being your God is dependent on the fact that he has made you his son or daughter and he still calls you his child. He still says, behold, your God. The next phrase that I think is glorious is, behold, the Lord comes, right? Isaiah has this unique perspective in, in 40 to 66 where he can see, in other words, the Lord gives him a prophetic vision of sort of the, all the sweep of world history. And he can see it all like at a glance, like, wow. And so he's not caught up in the tiny moment of time he lives in. He can see the whole thing. And from the perspective of all history, this could not be more true. Behold, the Lord God comes. There, there does exist in this moment in Babylon what seems to be a distance between God and his people, but God is on his way to close that gap. God is always on his way in the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God on his way to us, closing the gap between us and God, right? Adam and Eve sin. They cut themselves off from God. God comes to them. The world is in ruin, and God comes to a pagan named Abraham. A murderer flees from his homeland, and God comes to Moses. A people are in bondage in Egypt, and God comes and frees his people again and again and again. God is always on the way. God is always closing the gap. And what Isaiah can see is, at the end of history, God himself will come to earth. Isaiah's perspective is, oh, look, it's right there, right? We live in this moment where it's like, it's so long. Isaiah can see the whole thing and goes, oh, just boop, that's what it is. He's, he's on his way. He's coming right now. The glorious truth of this season, this Advent season, the word Advent means arrival. The glorious truth of this season is that God has arrived to be with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. That it may have felt like an eternity for people in Isaiah's day, but we look back and we see it was like that. John 1 says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming, was coming into the world and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We this year, church, at the end of the year might ask, where is God in our waiting? And we find the answer, he's in the manger. He has come to be with us. The, the advent of Christ is the loudest answer God could possibly give humanity when we ask the question, where are you? I'm there. I've come to be with you. He, had, he made the leap into our human form and experience. He took on flesh and he did that so that he could empty himself and become nothing, dying the death that we deserve on the cross. And in so doing, he closed the gap forever between God and his people so that for all eternity, God's people would never be without God's presence ever again. We're waiting for a lot of things, church, but could it be that the thing we are most waiting for has already come?
We rejoice in seeing that manger. We rejoice in celebrating this season because it is the answer, God's answer to the question, where are you? The answer is, I am with you. But we still live in the gap, don't we? <laughs> Some of the last, one of the last verses in the Bible is Jesus' simple statement, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus ascended and he promised to return. And he promises that when he returns, we will be united with our Lord for all eternity. Make no mistake, we do experience God's presence truly right here, right now. But we will experience God's presence fully one day when he returns. It's like the Lord's here, but it feels so far, you know what I mean? We could feel like, oh, that's, that's too far. I can't, I can't wait. I feel separated. But this is not, <laughs> biblically speaking, I don't think that's an accurate picture. You know what the accurate picture would be? It would be us. We've done this a few times with my boys. We show up at my parents' house, find them through the window like a bunch of creepers, and knock on the window, and their face lights up, and then they put up their finger saying, one minute. And they walk around and open the door. This year, this lifetime is just that brief moment. It takes for our heavenly father to walk from where he is through the door to embrace us. We see him. He's right there. He hasn't left us. He never will. But one day the doors will be flung open and we will be embraced fully. The presence of God fully with us. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for him, and he is here, and he is on the way. Third question, then, who have we waited for? We, we need to point our longings to the right place, because maybe up until this point, you're like, well, I know you're saying that God's the one we're waiting for. Prove it. It's been a hard year. Is that really what I'm waiting for? I feel like I'm waiting for something else. No, listen to this. When we see who he is, we understand that all of our waiting is pointed at him. We learn three things about the one we're waiting for. First, he is the warrior. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. In Jesus, we find the warrior we long for. Just look at, look at what we've walked through in the Gospel of Luke so far. Look at the forces that Jesus has wrestled to the ground. He has wrestled with sickness and paralysis and won. He has wrestled with demons, an army of demons, and emerges victorious. We find him seeing the true enemy death in the face of a little girl and this risen son of God, the incarnate son of God, puts his boot to the neck of death and emerges gloriously, victorious. All of this, church, is only foreshadowing the cross where Jesus will wrestle all these powers down and death itself will have its jaw broken and the Lord Jesus Christ will rise. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way, that one day, even though the jaw of death and sin and Satan have been broken, one day they will be put away and destroyed forever. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, meaning when that 
last gap is closed and the Lord emerges from the house with his arms open wide and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You know, the answer to that question is, it's nowhere. Nowhere anymore for the Lord emerges victorious. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one that we have waited for and are waiting for. But if he came once and he knocked death down, busted a bunch of people out, took the keys to Hades, he will return. He's like that little kid who's, somebody's being mean to them in the supermarket and they look up at the mean person and say, my dad is coming. And you see his dad, your dad comes around the corner, he's a six foot tall, six foot five, you know, 280 pound muscle bound dude. And you're like, oh, that's not gonna go well, Right? He is the warrior we wait for. Second, he is also the giver. Behold, it says, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So after a a long military campaign, a conquering king would bring back to his homeland all the plunder of his victories. He He would award gifts to his advisors, to his generals. And often what would happen is is when he returned, there would be days and days of feasting, right? The entire country would celebrate all that their king had won in battle. He would set out a feast with the finest food, the finest drinks, right? He wins the victory, but even the people back in the homeland, they didn't do nothing. They still enjoy the gifts, right? This is what our God is like. Ephesians 4.8 says that that not only did Jesus lead the captives out of sin and, and, and out of bondage, but he frees the captives and then gives them gifts, right? This is who our God is. Not only does he free us, not only does he rescue us, he then rewards us, which is insane. We largely as a culture give thanks to nothing, right? All the signs, give thanks, give thanks. To what, right? Give thanks for all the gifts you have. And we're just like, oh yeah, thank you. To to what? Wasn't, you know, wasn't like this stuff magically appeared. Who do we give thanks to? We give thanks because our gifts, any gifts in our lives point us to the giver. Hope in God, oh my soul. When the angels announced Christ's birth to the shepherds, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here at Better News Radio, we're bringing you the same message today. Christ was born for you. Why is that such great news? Because he's the Savior who died and rose again. And in doing so, he took away the sins of the world. He took away your sin. 
All you need to do is believe in Him and turn and follow Him. If you made that decision today, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email at radio at crossofgraceradio.com. Once again, that's radio at crossofgraceradio.com. We want to be praying for you as you branch out into your new life. And if you're not sure yet about making that decision, then head on over to our website, betternewsradio.com, where you'll find the Better News book, a short free book that asks all the questions you're dealing with right now. That website again is betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that you decided to join us here today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcanta. Better News Radio is a ministry out of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. You'll find all sorts of information about our church, including service times and location at our website. We'd love to have you come join us if you're in the area. Once again, that website is betternewsradio.com. Thanks again for joining us here today. We'll be back next time with all of the good news right here on Better News Radio. Oh, and Merry Christmas.